listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hello everyone, I'm Fran. And I'm Sally. And this week we're focusing on the week of the reign of Christ or Christ the King. And Sally and I will be focusing on Jeremiah 23 verses 1 to 6, Colossians 1, 11 to 20, and Luke 23, 33 to 43, and we may make a couple of remarks about the Luke 1 um, reading the Song of Zechariah. Yeah, if we have time. If we have time. So first let's do a little bit of context yeah, about Christ this. the King. So it can just seem really strange, and I think for a lot of people it can seem like, well, this is some invention of maybe the Roman Catholic Church mm. that has nothing to do with us and we don't like king language so much in the Uniting Church. We're a non-hierarchical structure. So it's pretty cool to stop and then look at the origins of this feast day because it's actually um, drenched in irony. It's trying mm. to disrupt understandings of power. So Pope Pius XI uh, instituted Feast of Christ the King in maybe 1925 or so, and it was in response to rising nationalism and secularism, like the sense of nation states and power. And people like Hitler and Mussolini grabbing power and domination yeah, um, and, and, and in this, murderous ways. This sense of whipping up the people into fervor like a religious fervor mm. really about a particular ideology a secular ideology mm. which based on hate and hate of other othering others and so to say actually christ is king is to say and all other authorities are not so it's an entire disruption of all those who would dare to claim complete power or complete knowledge or who um, rule as tyrants and we're certainly seeing some of that in our own current global context and so while it might be weird at first if we can take seriously what's going on in the in the celebration of this feast day I think we get really rich resources to think about power and divine power in particular and what that means about human powers. Yeah I think talking about power I mean obviously name the day and maybe if you do use the word kingship throughout the morning or the afternoon or the evening whenever you worship mm-hmm. to qual to to qualify what that you know what sort of kingship you're talking about, but certainly a conversation about power um, is really important, um, and that this was a deeply subversive kingship that yeah. all these readings um, put into very sharp relief. Absolutely. I mean, it's true to the, the the notion of kingship in the scriptures is quite mixed. Yeah, you know, you've got um, those who are understood as human, but with some sort of priestly angle to them mm. and in a way I guess um, our new King Charles we've just seen if you're a Commonwealth country out there um, we've seen him well we haven't seen the coronation yet but we've seen some of the mm. the ritual leading up but but the vestments and so on there's a, there's a sort of a sacramental almost edge to it but very much they're human um, and then we have like in um, revelation um, there's sort of the state and kingship and rule is like the beast of the abyss. Mm-hmm. And in Romans, we've got that the state could be in service of God. So yeah. there's, through the scriptures, a real obviously mix of the reality of of governmental or state or secular power and how it inter- interacts with God's power. Yeah, and I think in the gospel passion narratives, they're playing with that in, in really important and, and particular ways so that... 
there's this mockery of Jesus as mm. king and yet Jesus mm. is king. But how does Jesus embody power entirely in a different way to the powers or mo- many of the powers of this world? It's not about domination. It's not about retaliation. It's about this radical non-retaliation, mm. this a radical forgiveness, which we'll hear a little bit more about in the gospel. So inviting people into the complexity, I think, has some real gifts about this because there are people that we all look up to and tend to put on a pedestal if not a throne Mm. Um, but to take seriously that Christ is king disrupts all of those systems as well. So we'll start with Jeremiah Mm. and now we've had quite a few weeks on Jeremiah and by the well so we're not going to do a huge amount of introduction for that one but this is um, one of Jeremiah's woes. Mm. Uh, Woes against the leaders, the priests, the kings, the false prophets um, who've been Sending the wrong messages to the people. Mm. And the language, that the imagery of shepherd is really important in this. Yeah, well, for Christians too, with understanding Jesus as the good shepherd. That's right. Um, in very great contrast to these shepherds here who scatter the sheep. Um, I'm really struck by that. And scattered the flock is a phrase that's repeated a couple of times in this little passage. Mm. Um, and, I mean, we can have idyllic visions of flocks of sheep, can't we? And um, this is really about people who are lost mm. and, and or have had to flee out but, of fear. Yeah, I think fear is a really big part of this and so the sense that things are not safe. Yeah, and um, I just think of people in the world now who are um, – who are scattered and lost and um, I'm thinking of the people of the Ukraine and those on the brink or in the mid- in the midst of a very real famine in Africa. Yeah. Um, so this is quite an evocative, deeply, I mean, <laughs> sounds a bit off, it's deeply serious um, uh, injustice that has occurred under these leaders. That's right. And this sense of, of God's agony about this is my mm. pasture, my people, my flock. So God is the true shepherd, the true king, and is longing f- for there to be shepherds who will embody the righteousness and the justice of God for the people. And that this restoration is from God, like the phrase in verse 3, then I myself mm. will gather. Yeah. Not I will make them gather. Go and do their job probably. No, I'm going to, yeah. you know. Yeah, so the sense of this intimate God who sees what's happening and um, cares and will mm. act. Yeah. And there's also um, deep resonance here for the diaspora or those fleeing, you know, um, don't worry, I will bring them back mm. and they will multiply and we get creation, you know, allusions to creation, Genesis 1. Mm. Um, I think in other parts of Jeremiah, I think the, the, the diaspora are – are advised, look, you're out there, make the best of yeah, it. Yeah. You know, um, make your families, grow your crops where you are, Mm-mm. and I will be there. I'll be there. And this is sort of, don't worry, I'm going to bring them back. Yeah. And I love that image in verse six around safety. Um, Israel will live in safety. So, in this sense of context of fear, that there will be a gathering in and that. You know, for there to be genuine safety, there needs to be justice and mm. righteousness that these things will be established. And obviously there's a hint in verse 5 for Christians for how we read this text around appointing to Jesus, I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice mm. and righteousness. So for not for Jewish people clearly but for Christians mm. this, this is seen as yet another uh, pointing towards Jesus as this one. And that those um that last couple of verses in the passage five and six actually reappear in Jeremiah in chapter 30, 33. Mm. 
so you know emphasised. So there's a real um, corporate communal vision um, to this justice being spoken about. That's here. right. It's yeah. not just for individuals. It's for the whole no, community. No. Yeah. Um, and the sort of, as you say, the sort of power that God is embodying here, or or is is of care. Yeah. And gathering. Yeah. And um, and and justice. And love. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. Now we said we wouldn't um, dwell on on Zechariah's prophecy or, or poem, prayer, celebration, but just in passing. So there's no psalm this week. No, this is the yeah. invitation to you. This is the psalm. And again is this speaking about restoration really and of God at work. So it has this sense of promise, a new leader of coming to fruition from David. Again, so for Christians, obviously, this um, links us into Jesus being the fulfilment of that. And it's uh, the language of being saved and rescued and taking away fear are mm. important features of this. So I think, again, that sense of genuine safety, meaning genuine justice. Yeah, and the image of the en- like the enemies are mentioned several times, and, and the word hate in mm. English, anyway, obviously, is here. And that's, mm. it's, you know, these are desperate times. Mm. Um, God will prepare, the Lord will prepare his ways. I really am struck by verses 77 where to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness yeah. of sins. And um, we talked about this a bit earlier, didn't we? Um, that The way this is phrased to me says salvation is already a reality. But it's the giving God's knowledge. here to give knowledge of it. Amen, amen. And it's not information. No. It's the forgiveness of your sins, the good news, well, yeah, the good news that um, you are forgiven and loved. You are beloved. And you are beloved and that knowledge is key to a complete transformation in your your individual life but in your communal life and beyond. That's right, exactly right. And I was saying when we were chatting about it before, it has real resonance for me in John's Gospel when Jesus makes that extraordinary statement in, in another passage really about power being changed, saying I no longer call you slaves or servants, mm. I call you friends because I have made known to you everything I've received. So again, it's about knowledge that brings us into intimacy with God. So it's not like private separate knowledge only some can get. It's in, We're yeah. all invited into it and it's into the realisation that we are beloved. I mean, it's so beautiful. And it's not... Um Look, I'll I'll let you know what you can do yeah. to get this salvation. Yeah. There's several steps. <laughs> no, you know, um, or there's several ways you need to just you know get with the program. It's no, I'm here to give you that knowledge. Yeah, it's just, and then and then Jesus goes on to embody that in the gospels, like by refusing to exclude people and continuing to bring people mm. into that friendship, into the experience of being forgiven. And the religious authorities are just driven insane by that because it seems too gracious, you know, mm. over and over again. So. I also, um, I mean, we said we wouldn't spend long yeah. on this one, but I'm just <laughs> looking at, you know, to give light to those who sit in darkness mm. and the shadow of death is um, a taking so seriously of the very real human experience day, day by day for someone and everyone all over the yeah. place of that, I suppose, in that, that Easter Saturday is part of our life as That's humans right. and... Um, God is there and will guide us yeah. through. Intimately present. Intimately present. Yeah. Okay. We'll move next on to the Colossians reading, uh, chapter 1, verses 11 to 20. So this is one of the letters that Paul wrote in prison. 
well, maybe he wrote it. This maybe he oh, didn't. Oh gosh, it's, it's one of those. <laughs> it's one of those big debates. Yeah, yeah. Um, so early sixties, probably. Some think that. So there was an earthquake in Colossae right. in around sixty one and or sixty two, and some people think. If it was not written by Paul, they addressed it to Colossae, even though the place was wiped out, as a way of trying to make it seem older. Oh. I know. And others think, no, 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 it possibly was written by Paul. So that's that's a heated debate. Well, is it – but it is um, true, is it not, that whoever wrote it didn't actually know the community very well or we don't even – can't even well, say look, that? Well, look, I'm quite um, resistant to making claims when we don't know. We don't mm. – we just don't know. So I'm quite happy to be – yeah, yeah. agnostic about these things. And this is what we preach from. This is what we have. That's right. So can I – I love this passage so, yes, so, so do much. I. Yeah. So within this passage there is a very early hymn fragment. So if mm. it's written around 60, 61, 62, whatever, this is presumably earlier because here but also um, in Hebrews, at the beginning of Hebrews and also in 1 Corinthians, Paul quotes from an early hymn fragment and in, in John's Gospel and a couple of other places, the author's – quote a hymn or a prayer that the community are already mm. familiar with. So at this point, this is the earliest evidence we have of the Christian tradition, these hymn fragments, because they're being utilised in worship before the Gospels are written, before the letters are even yeah, written. Yeah. So I just find them incredibly intriguing. So, yeah, they're not something that was written later, sort of hagi- doing hagiography exactly. of this rabbi who was really amazing. This was in this the is, moment. Yeah, and yeah. so one of the ways I like to talk about it is um, – this is not just how they're worshipping, though it is. It's how they're loving mm. Jesus. And so what I find astonishing in this, so the hymn itself is between 15 and 20. Um, it's one thing, I mean, it's extraordinary, but it's one thing to say, oh, Jesus was raised from the dead. Like that's That would be kind of enough of an extraordinary claim. But in multiple um, earliest hymn fragments, some of the ones that I've just uh, named, it's not just that Jesus is celebrated as um, being raised from the dead. He's celebrated in the extraordinarily cosmic terms mm. as the one from the beginning through whom all things come into being. Now, that's something else entirely. And um, as my my own research d- demonstrates, these Jesus is consistently here being imaged as Sophia, um, hol- holy wisdom, mm. the one um, who is with God from the beginning in Proverbs and in many other Old Testament passages. I'd just love to read that little part of yeah. the hymn. Is that all right? Because Go it's ahead. just yeah. extraordinary. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And the... um Evoking of Genesis yeah. and um, Proverbs and some Exodus as well in there. Like it's, it's just extraordinary. And echoes. so if, if, we, yeah, if we take seriously this claim for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, like even just that particular line, that surely means that we need to take seriously how Jesus 
lives, mm. not, not just dies, but that, that's certainly part of it, but lives in ministry as reflected across the Gospels as the embodiment of God. Mm-hmm. If all the fullness of God dwells in this one, this one reveals how God does power. And, and that is just mind-blowing and I think actually is at the heart of what the Gospels are really trying to wrestle with because the expectations for many, many people, um, Greco-Roman people from the Greco-Roman um, pagan kind of context as well as for Jewish people, is that God will not act like that, like act like Jesus does, stooping down, literally washing feet. Well, it's foolishness, isn't it? And it's scandal. It, exactly, <laughs> to quote our friend Paul. Um, it's entirely ridiculous. It doesn't – and then um, it's so highlighted in, in the – you know, particularly in Matthew's version of the Passion, you know, he said, I could call all the legions of angels – but I'm not going to. So it's not that Jesus is powerless in the face mm. of evil and violence and lies and corruption, which is what happens in the trial you know, through the state, but Jesus chooses to embody power in a radically different way in non-violence, in peace, in forgiveness. So that isn't just a nice thing that he did. It reveals who and how God is, what God's kingship is like. Now that is, that's enough to think about for us well, of our lives. Well, it's mind-blowing. Well, it's what we... Preach every Sunday. Or Let's hope. Don't yeah. We? yeah. <laughs> it's it's mind blowing because it changes our understandings of divine power, but it also challenges how we embody power. It's just in, incredible. Hey, I think, and we gloss, we can gloss over it um, yeah. so easily. Um, yeah. And so then, if we take it seriously, so when in the Gospels, Jesus keeps saying to people, like we had the reading the other week, um, Another Zach saying, you know, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Yeah, yeah. That that's how God embodies power is by, uh, or personally, I think the reading of that reading is the more that he's already doing those things as a text, that he's already giving stuff away. But the miracle is that the, because the Greek can be either way. Yes, yeah, so I will I, give yeah, it. Yeah, we or, made that yeah, point cool, up, yeah. yeah. So what I think, I think it probably is to be saying, I do this already. The miracle in that story is that the crowds see him for the first time as human. Like, that's what happens in that story, that they see him through the eyes of God and, and the grace and they also see their own prejudice. I mean, we could hold both readings. Mm. But that sense of – so all of those ways we hear in the Gospels, Jesus refusing to judge someone, refusing to exclude and keeping on saying, come and have a meal with me, um, I'll feed you, I'll nourish you, I'll wash your feet, that this is who and how God is. And that reflects, again, the kind of dreaming um, in Jeremiah and, and, and other passages in – in the Psalms and Isaiah about God's intimate care for us as well. There's quite a um, – before that hymn, the, there's the couple of verses um, speaking warmly and strongly to the Colossian community. Mm. Um, May you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks. Mm. Um, and this is a smaller aspect of that passage because I would certainly preach on that hymn as, as you read it and mm. as we've talked about it here. But I am also struck by that little fragment of that verse about um, oh the the implied waiting and the implied not knowing, yeah. really. Like we have the knowledge of salvation. We've just heard yeah. Yeah, <laughs> about yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. But that the reality of existence is a movement between enduring and joy. Yes, yes. And it's experiential. Like the verse 11 how it says, may you be made strong mm. with all the strength. So it's a sense that God is not just leaving us in the dark but that um, the strength, this kind of, I like to use the word unpower, the unpower yeah. of God that comes with us in Jesus is empowering them. Or yeah. <laughs> well, which is what that the crucifixion, that the end part, sort of the blood yeah. of the cross was um, – 
that experience of nothingness or as in the sort of traditional language, the ab- the presence of God's absence, yeah. you know, that and that that being where God is most present yeah. in that. And it's very paradoxical. Yeah. But what a nonsense that is when you believe you believe God to be all-powerful yes. in the human logic of that and over the power over and in, and not suffering and not interested in the frail materiality of, yeah. you know, our crappy world, which although that is a caricature of folks obviously, but that is how God, generalised God, yeah. was understood to be. So yeah. and to be embodied and dwelling in someone whose fate was that. Yeah. It's extraordinary. It's nonsensical. And so then I think it actually, I mean, this is a bigger question, but it does then invite us to think about like when we're praying for others who, for example, are going through pain, Are we? is our prayer for them shaped by how um, Jesus embodies power? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Or, or are we still expecting Superman to zap in and do mm. something magical or are we expecting Jesus to be alongside them in the grieving and, and, and gently drawing out the good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I do. And, mm. I mean, it's a similar thing where you go, well, will this magic thing happen from the outside yeah. or will the newness and the hope emerge from the people and the places of the story of our time, yeah. of the history, you know. That's right. and being in, our, in our world. Yeah, and being strengthened by God in that but not from some puppet master. Mm. So it's a, it's a different conversation we're inviting ourselves into and other people. About about power, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are there any last things you would say about this favoured passage before we move on that we haven't mentioned? Uh, just that sense of um, there is still darkness. So that's a sense of rescued mm. us from the power mm. of darkness in verse thirteen. So again, as as um, for Paul and the author of Mark and others, like there are, um, it's not a neutral territory that we live in for these authors and we and we might feel the same. I mean, there are certainly lots of evil powers at play mm. currently in our world. But um, so to be aware of that, not to walk around in naivety um, about everything's great and everyone's got a, a really good agenda, but there are people with um, ill intent. Yes, there's hostilities. Yeah, there's hostilities and to get out, to be aware of that, but to also be drawing our strength from the one who um, is the strained king. Yeah. Who subverts that Who subverts. so yeah. surprisingly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our next best passage is uh, Luke 23, verses 33 to 43. Okay, the story of the crucifixion according to Luke. So I think definitely warning people <laughs> that this is the reading because if it, we're getting like we're on the edge of Advent, someone are you ready Advent almost? Um, so it could be like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where well, because the in the end is our beginning. <laughs> That's right. And, yeah. and so just helping people into that, maybe even before the reading is shared, um, a little bit of context about this is the reading. We'll be exploring why um, in the reflection. Yeah. Yeah, well, so this is the, I mean, I use the word historical in deep inverted commas, but mm. the, the Colossians hymn is, is historically depicted here, so to speak, mm. of the story of um, the death and the machinations of the governmental power uh, and lies. That's right. And, um, you know, there's typologies here, aren't there, really? I mean, um, the thief, there's criminals, yeah. you know, there's criminals, there's the revolutionaries who were mocking him. Who understandably, like if I, I think sometimes we can forget 
and be a little bit pious in the West because we're not living under occupation. When, mm. you know, we read a psalm, it's like smash our enemies or, you know, mm. they're like, oh, gee, they should be more loving. It's like you can understand why you might want to rebel against the state if you're living under occupation and mm. and want consequences. So, yeah, that this person who's strived to bring political cha- well, seemingly perhaps. Mm. Um, so this context, very real context of of some of the dimensions of what it is to be human. And I think that um, that notion, and I know it's in brackets, not in some manuscripts, mm. but about Jesus forgiving, is it's not just in the death. Like Jesus consistently seeks to forgive people throughout the Gospels and um, and the hint even in Zechariah's prophecy too around that being central. So this being set free from missing the mark mm. um, is pretty profound that it's from woe to go. It's odd that it's in parentheses here. I know, I know. But you can't tell that when you're hearing it and the word is to be heard. No, and I so. look, and exactly, and who knows why. I mean, some I think would argue that, I look at, you know, anti-Semitism starts early, tragically, in the church. So whether it's a sense of how can Jesus forgive the people who killed, mm. you know, that kind mm. of vile um, anti-Jewish sentiment, maybe. I mean, human mm. capacity for evil is pretty immeasurable. Yeah. Yeah. So that could be the reason, but it, to me, it sits really well within the whole the whole way in which Jesus embodies power throughout mm. the throughout the Gospels, not just in Luke. The language is really raw, isn't it? They scoffed at him, yeah. they mocked him. Um, he was given sour wine and not normal wine or water. Yeah, um, you know. And then there's that whole thing, that whole temptation: if you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. Mm. Like if you're really powerful, that's the stuff we began with about the whole Christ the King theme. Mm. Um, use your power in worldly ways That's right. and prove it to prove us. Prove it to us. Prove I mean, it to us. Isn't that the absolute human cry? And so to embody um, non-violence in this way, which is not the same as um, tragically, like we need to be really careful around this because tragically sometimes this kind of theology then leads to arguments that women should therefore stay in yeah, abusive yeah, relationships yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. But if we take seriously that this is not just some regular guy but this is the God one, um, that shifts the whole emphasis here and it's about this is how God chooses to embody power. And it's a powerlessness that's not passive. No, Like it's exactly. quite assertive yeah. and, um, <coughs> you know, disruptive, it utterly is. disruptive. Yeah. Exactly. I, that's why I like the language of um, unpower because mm. it's not powerlessness and it's not power over. Um, it's power for or it's unpower, it's yeah. disruptive power. I think it's really, it's really, imp- yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not great at self-promotion, but if people want to explore that, I have written an article around okay, the great. power of God, so we could maybe put a link. Put a to link, the, definitely yeah. we could do yeah. that, yeah. We're coming to the end it's, um, of our conversation today. Are mm. there any final remarks you want to make about this passage or our conversation in general? I had. A, I was thinking about if people had children in worship, how they could engage. And one thought I had, and I feel like maybe I saw um, the Old Testament scholar and theologian Will Gaffney maybe share about this. So it could be that I'm borrowing the idea, or, or I mm. saw it. I'm not sure. But if you made um, paper crowns for if the children were doing a worship activity. On each of the triangle parts of the crown, they could write some of the names for Jesus, like vine, shepherd, um, oh, yeah. just to help the kids think about what kind of kingship this is. Uh, yeah, deepen the imagery. That's right. Yeah, 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 bread. You know, like yeah. you could explore it in that kind of – I mean, it couldn't – it might not have been just for children, like if you've got a cafe-type church yeah, context. Yeah, it's for anybody. Just yeah. because 
kingship stuff is so um, structured in our heads around power and thrones and gold and, you know, if you go to the art gallery, maleness, all of the stuff, yeah. So to be able to help people kind of have um, footholds to climb up to explore it from a more expansive. Yeah, that's Mm. a great idea. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.